Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. This week, we are very happy to have professional skier and year-round athlete Drew Peterson back on the Blister Podcast and back right here in Crested Butte, where he arguably belongs. More on that in this conversation. Anyway, Drew is back in Crested Butte for a couple of reasons. First, to participate in a Blister Speaker Series event that we just held at Western Colorado University. And then today, and I'm recording this on Friday, February 10th, Drew went and was skiing with Western Colorado University's free ride team. Now, I'm not saying that Western is the coolest school in the country, but raise your hand if you're a college student and you went skiing with a pro skier today. Just saying. So in this conversation, I talked to Drew about skiing today with Western's free ride team, and then we turn to what might be one of the most important conversations we can have in our outdoor sports worlds. And this very much touches on and is an extension of some of the things that Drew was talking about last night at our Blister Speaker Series. And so if I could ask a favor here and call one in from the entire outdoor community, it would be that you pay close attention to this conversation and share this conversation among your circle of friends. I think you'll see why, as we get deeper into this conversation, why we think that this is extremely important, whether or not you personally are dealing with some of these issues, and arguably, maybe you need to listen to this conversation specifically if you are fortunate enough not to be dealing with any of these issues that Drew and I discuss. So again, I don't ask this often, but I am asking this time, give this conversation a close listen. And if you rarely or never share podcast conversations, well, I would make an exception this time around. Let's get this out. Let's make sure that all of us are better attuned to some of the issues that Drew and I are talking about today. Finally, at the top, we do talk a bit about snowboarding, and I'm going to level with you. We like to keep it honest around here. We never really got into the snowboarding talk, so we are going to have to save that conversation for another time, but we touch on it. You're going to get a taste of what's going on here, and that just means that you know we've got definitely another fun conversation for you coming down the pike sometime. Okay, so that is what we've got. And when you all are hearing this conversation on Monday, we are going to be in the thick of our Blister Summit. And so I know a number of you, I'll probably be skiing with and talking with you at the summit. But for the rest of you, enjoy this one. Come see us at next year's summit. But for now, Enjoy this conversation, and again, share this one. It's important, and I hope you agree. Okay, and now, here's my conversation with 
Drew Peterson. Here we go. Well, I'm very happy to be back in Blister headquarters with Drew Peterson. Um, Drew, welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be in Crested Butte. I'm always smiling and psyched to be here every time that I come back and feels like I'm coming back to Crested Butte more and more. So that and, must mean I'm doing something right in life. Yeah, we've we've got to put you on the like adopted son list because you start kind of glowing when you talk about this place. You know a bunch of people in this place. You are definitely on the like, you have like honorary citizenship in Crested Butte, I think. I think I'm allowed to, you know, hand that out. Thanks. Yeah. It, I mean, honestly, like, I feel very at home. I feel a good sense of place here. I think some of that is how awesome this place is. Some of it's having a kind of lifelong connection to it. And I think it's really similar to where I grew up. Like, I grew up in Silverthorne, which, you know, 25 years ago, like, wasn't that dissimilar from what Crested Butte is now. And, like, my home mountain was a basin and i kind of joke around that like a basin is like crested butte's like little brother like everything off the poly lift is so similar to everything that's on the north face here it's you know maybe just packed into a smaller package but you know it's steep it's technical it's north facing it's hard pack it's fantastic chalk it's pinpoint landings it's rocky and you know, it demands skiing in the fall line and in the driver's seat. Another thing I just have to address right now, you get so many podcast points because you are still in your ski boots. So yeah, if we said had our own, you know, game of NAR 2.0 or something, recording podcasts while still in ski boots and ski pants has to earn you, yeah, quite a few points. This is like the equivalent of like going to operate in Europe, still in your ski boots <laughs> yeah. and dancing the night away and going home at the end, still in the boots. Yeah, exactly. So we should say you came into town last night. We did a blister speaker series thing at Western Colorado University. And then today the reason why you are currently in ski boots and ski pants uh, is because you just went and skied with Western's freeride team. I very sadly did not go, but I'm consoling myself because we are about to start a blister summit. By the time this drops, we'll be in the first day of the summit. So I definitely am going to spend some time skiing with you, riding chairlifts, et cetera, this week. We're still buttoning up quite a few details with respect to the summit right now. So I was like, all right, you go, you kids have fun. But tell us a little bit about it. It was super fun. It was really cool to go out there with Western's free ride team. You know, like I started my competition career here at Crested Butte. Yeah. I was 15 years old, 2010, yeah, 2010 US Extremes. And so like this is ground zero for me and in a lot of ways competing at crested butte back then in what then was called the us extremes is what jump started what became my professional skiing career so you know it it's funny because i'm not that old but like i sound like a little bit of an old man to be <laughs> like you know i see a lot of myself in those kids and in their energy and in their excitement for competition skiing and, you know, Crested Butte is such a great place to harness and, you know, live out that energy that I think, you know, free ride and, 
and that competition flavor of free ride really has. So it was cool to go out with them. Um, you know, like beforehand, I was definitely <laughs> a little nervous yeah. and a little apprehensive because like when I was 19 years old, like I woke up and I ate a bowl of nails for breakfast and was out there to charge and send all day, every day when I was on a pair of skis. And I expected them to be similar and to some effect they were. Um, but, you know, I was like, man, am I going to be able to keep up? <laughs> and I'm like coming back from um, a small knee injury, but it ended up being fantastic. It was just so fun to, you know, be on skis and, and fuel off of their energy. I want to take a minute and give props to the Western Freeride team because you are going to be, you know, one of the very best skiers on most mountains that you visit. And so we were having lunch earlier and you're like a little nervous. And I'm like, good job, Western. You got the pro skiers just, you know, just thinking, thinking twice. I thought that was a nice compliment to them. So um, <laughs> That's a compliment to 19-year-olds who <laughs> send it inbounds all the time. So the, the, the maybe young and um, the young and the reckless, maybe we say? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't think you even have to put another adjective on it. You can just say young. Yeah. Which I know, like, there's probably people who are listening to this that, that are like, Drew, you're young. Like, yeah. 28. I'm, I'm 28. The right old like, age of 28 for the listeners like the reason that i can say that i'm not as young as 19 is like i'm 28 i haven't had a surgery in a few years but i've had 13 different surgeries i've got man i've had so many doctors tell me to quit so many things and you know i'm very stubborn to keep going but like my body is not 28 so that's my little asterisk to the listeners, you can't give me shit for saying that I'm young or not young, yeah, even yeah. though I'm 28. Yeah, there's biological age and then there's biological age plus 13 surgeries. Yeah, plus how many payments my insurance company has made to orthopedic surgeons. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's factored into my age. Give us an update. I mean, this summit's about to go underway. Barris to admit this, my last ski day maybe it was Wednesday this week. So I didn't ski yesterday or we're recording this on Friday. Coverage has been incredible for this mountain, but we're starting to get harder pack, good coverage. Is that the, is that the short version? It's, it's dream chalk. Dream chalk. Yeah. <laughs> That's better. You should be the marketing person, not me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure that uh, ski resort marketing could come up with a million different ways to spin it as fantastic skiing. But, you know, like I said at the beginning, like north facing chalky snow is some of the best skiing out there. Anyone can ski powder, but like skiing chalk at Crested Butte, like that's real skiing. So it's fantastic out there right now. And I'm really psyched for the summit. Um, I'm already making mental notes of where rocks are for when we get some snow next week too <laughs> yeah. smart we do have snow coming in it's looking actually yeah another snowy summit so i think i said to you last night i either need to say another prayer to little tiny baby jesus or 
I at some point just sold my soul to the devil. I don't know which of those things, but so far we've done real well with summit weather. Yeah, or we're going to pay off the open snow forecast team. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's what you talked about. Yeah. <laughs> you can give me credit for that idea if that if that gets you some, you know, angry comment. This will will give a heads up to people who listen to this conversation, but yeah, last night you proposed cuz Joel Gratz is going to be here from Open Snow. We are going to pay Joel to like when we see him at the summit in a couple of days, we're going to pay him so that he puts a forecast out for next blister summit. And it's like two feet of snow every day. And we just leave it there to see how long we leave it there for. We'll see, you know, what kind of principles Joel really has, right? How, how high of a price do we have to pay until Joel is like, all right, I'm in. Perfect. Perfect. I'm very proud. That was my that idea. Was it was a great idea. It was a great idea. Um, okay. So that's our report on the mountain. How did the knee feel today? I know you skied a couple days ago, first time back, I think, after you had a little bit of a little bit of a layoff. How'd you feel today? Yeah. So um, I'm actually super proud of myself for this little knee injury that I have because you know with all those surgeries and all the injuries that came with them I would always just push through I'd you know just harden up and keep skiing and ski through injury and that usually led to worse injury and that usually led to surgery um but I just had this like small knee tweak um like day before new year's um skiing back home while I was there visiting the folks and um, it ended up just being a low grade MCL sprain. I got super lucky. That is basically the best case scenario when you know that you did anything in your knee, like that's what you're hoping the doc says. So I got super lucky, um, but I actually took some time off instead of just pushing through it and I healed it up right. And I really dedicated the month of January to rehabbing well and um, it feels awesome. So I got back on skis two days ago and went skiing with my dad at Copper, which is super fun. You know, I still get to ski with my dad at least once or twice a year, but it's still special when I get to have those days with him. So that was a cool way to get back on skis. And um, I told myself I wasn't going to ski timid. I was just going to, you know, ski normal and see if my knee was up for it. And um, it was, but um, skiing with the 19 uh, year olds from Western's free ride team is different than skiing with my dad who's retired <laughs> and and my knee did great today um i uh i ended up skiing like decently hard i got some air time and you know i i skied some bumps skied some skied bumps, some bumps. <laughs> I, I think i love skiing bumps more than anyone <laughs> Anyone not named Johnny Mosley? See, this this is though this is why you get to be an honorary citizen of Crested Butte. When you, <laughs> you say things like that. You know? I I got the I got the free red team to go ski Rambo. Did you today? Yeah. I haven't even skied it yet this year. How was it? It was. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it it was what it was. It was, <laughs> it was what it always is. Yeah. Okay. Um, for the listeners who don't know what we're talking about, Rambo is the steepest cut inbounds run in North America, yeah. which I think sounds like uh, when ESPN like makes up baseball stats. Yeah. It's just like, this is like the highest batting percentage for somebody who steps onto the field with their left foot first on the third Thursday in September. Um, but Rambo is very steep. 
Um, and it's, uh, it's full of little punji trees. So I learned the Crested Butte term for that, chopping broccoli. Chopping broccoli, yeah. Um, so yeah, we went in there and chopped some broccoli chopped some today. Broccoli. Okay. Yeah, I tried to I tried to get these guys that were standing on top of it, like trying to like psych themselves up to drop in. I like rolled over to them. And I was like, "Man, it looks like it'd be easier to walk down, huh?" And then I was, let's just put it in the fall line. And I still couldn't get them to drop in. And then it's probably not the best thing because then I actually do just drop into the fall line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good to know Drew's but, back But on. the knee is up for Rambo. So that's a good test. I mean, test. you could have just said that at the start and then we could have just moved on. You're like, the knee felt good on Rambo. I'd have been like, done. All I need to know. Yeah. I love that you're, yeah, your first day back at CB coming off the knee injury. You're like, of course, we're going to go ski Rambo. So... The reason I haven't skied is I'm not totally sure when they actually opened it. I think it's a, been a fairly recent opening. It's been open long enough that there's a lot of broccoli chopped. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. All right. We have two more particular topics of conversation. I had a question from last night that I didn't ask last night because there were such good questions coming in from students in the audience, but it's something I've been thinking about since your talk last night. And then we're going to actually talk about snowboarding. <laughs> so that is our order of events here. But last night at Western, first of all, we showed your film, Ups and Downs. Actually, let me pause. I'd love to hear you say whatever it is you say when trying to describe your film, Ups and Downs. The most succinct way to put it is there's a ski film about a lot more than skiing. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, it's uh, ups and downs is a very simple concept. It mirrors the mountains and valleys of my personal mental health journey with the ups and downs of ski touring. And, you know, I, I wanted to create a film that showed this story that I was really living behind closed doors. And I wanted to create a film that didn't follow the traditional archetype that we see in so many ski films and outdoor adventure films that is, you know, somebody out there nadir and then literally and metaphorically climbing a mountain and then they reach the mountain and raise their arms above their head and fuck yeah, they conquered everything and, you know, ride off into the sunset. I didn't want to create that film. So um, it's a really simple concept, you know, but I wanted to show that uh, my personal mental health journey and mental health in general is a lifelong pursuit that, like I say in the film, there's no summit. Yeah. And I mean, if somehow I think, well, we know many, many, many people have viewed the film by now, but we'll include a link to the film in the show notes of this episode. Um, everyone definitely should watch it. But for those few people who maybe aren't so familiar with your story or that film, as you kind of said at the tail end of that, it is quite a discussion and a bit of an exploration about some of the mental health issues uh, that you've had and that are certainly a part of folks in our outdoors world. So that's a bit of a nutshell, I guess. Go watch the film. Then you gave a talk that kind of did go into more detail about sort of your life and timelines and your career as a professional skier, your trajectory in that realm, and some of the things that you weren't 
talking about openly that you weren't telling people and some of your own struggles with like, man, like a lot of people look at your abilities on a pair of skis and your job as a pro skier and are like, dude, live in the dream. And so you spoke very well last night about some of the realities of that and how that in and of itself was tough. Cause you're like, yeah, I am. And, and, and I'm not. So before we kind of go further there, is there more to that story or more context that you'd like to provide? Yeah. I mean, just from a 30,000 foot view for people who have no idea who I am and, you know, not exactly what we're pontificating on or haven't watched the film is I've struggled with mental health my entire life, all the way back to when I was a little kid. Um, I've struggled with my mental health, depression and suicidal thoughts. Um, and my film and what I'm doing now goes into really the inner workings of that. And the big pieces that we focus on in that film and that I focus on when I'm speaking are an accident that I had in the mountains, um, a near death accident. And then the PTSD that resulted from that healing from that. And then also being diagnosed with post-concussion syndrome, um, also known as persistent symptoms after concussion, as well as type two bipolar disorder. And, um, then I, you know, in my talks as well in, in the film, you know, I just try to share my story in a way that can help people see that my story relates to them as individuals and to our community as a whole. Yeah. And last night it was very clear again, from some of the questions that were being asked to you, you know, by the audience, I mean, this connects, this connects with people and I'm curious whether you had any follow-up conversations today when you were out with some of the students skiing. Yeah, it's, it's the most powerful part of my entire life now. And certainly of my entire life of this past year and a half of sharing this stuff publicly for the first time and continuing to do so is the people who reach out to me. And it always means more in person because I get to see and feel, you know, what's behind that. Um, and last night was a cool experience in that regard. Um, but today was special because when we were on skis, um, a couple of the, you know, folks that I was skiing with today told me what my film had meant to them, um, and how vocal I've been about mental health and some of the specific lessons that I've shared that I've been through, how it's helped them. And that's really powerful for me because, a big part of my passion in doing all of this is being able to help young people. And so getting to see, you know, people who are early in their collegiate ed education, you know, learning these big life lessons from my vulnerability and sharing my story in a way that they're able to apply those lessons in their own lives and grow as human beings as a result. Like, you know, one of the um one of the guys who shared that with me today like you know i just looked him in the eyes and i said like it means the world like that's why i do everything that i do is because i know that there's a people out there that it's going to help and when i get to connect with those people in person and you know hear that it really is helping it really does mean the world so one question there's a whole lot in your film 
And when you do talk to audiences where there is so much emphasis on please talk to someone, please ask for help, please let people know if and when there are internal struggles. So one of the things I'm wondering about in your own case then, as you do talk about this more and more and more, does that actually help you yourself with your own issues, struggles with some of these things and trying to keep things sort of in check or in key, you know, even keel, or I don't have the right phraseology, but I'm wondering just in your own particular case, is it like, is that of benefit to you hearing from these crowds or does it just depend on the day? And sometimes you talk and you hear that from the kid and I'm sure you absolutely mean it when you're like, that means the world but maybe I shouldn't like get it twisted to think that, oh, that has its own real benefit for you personally. There's a balance with it. Like one, it does benefit me to be able to share my true authentic self with the world and with people. And that is positive for me because I gain confidence in who I am by showing up as myself. That doesn't have to be in the form of speaking to a live audience. It doesn't have to be in the form of a ski film. It can just be in the form of being honest in a conversation. So that's helpful for me. When when people share with me, you know, the effect that it's had on them, or when people share with me what they're going through, I always, my greatest intention is to just be present and to appreciate that moment for what it is and to be there for that person. There's a balance though, because it would be a really big weight to carry if I took that on as a responsibility. If I took on other people's trials and tribulations and I took on other people's health and well-being as my own responsibility. And ultimately it's not. Like part of my message is the personal growth to take care of yourself. And the biggest thing that I can do continuing to move forward to still hold that space, you know, for people in our community and for the people who I get to connect with in person is to keep taking care of myself. And so for me, like, honestly, that looks like recharging. Like, you know, after last night, like, every single time I speak is a really emotional experience for me. It's a really fulfilling experience, but I also have to balance that out with some alone time afterwards. So like, that's why last night I booked that hotel room in Gunnison so that I could just go to bed as soon as possible, but also just so that I could be in my own space to wind down. Cause you know, it's a, it's a lot of feeling to be in that space. And, um, I think it's just, been really important for me to make sure that I'm taking care of myself as I go on and and that's still a course of work in progress and you know even after today and after the couple conversations that I got to have on the hill like I I need to make sure that I recharge from that and you know that's keeping up on on everything that you know keeps my ship afloat but like that's that's what I think keeps it going for me 
you know, kind of like circling back to your question, something that's been really important for me and something that I've tried to be really intentional about is not tying um, my worth of the work that I'm doing as well as my self-worth as a human being to the response because it means the world to hear that it's helping people. But if it's not helping people and I'm not getting messages from strangers or strangers coming up to me on the street and telling me, you know, things like I got to hear over the past couple of days, like I can't rely on that for my happiness. Like, so from the beginning, like I had to go into this whole process of sharing myself, of writing an essay for outside, of creating this film and then publishing it, showing it to live audiences. I had to go into all of that knowing and having full confidence that it didn't matter what the response was. The response has been very positive, but I had to get to a place where that response wasn't going to change how I felt. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, you know, a part of your story a part of many people's stories is that some of the, the thoughts, some of the ideations, right? You know, you talk about in your own case, some of this started quite young, I think when you were nine years old. And you also talk about you have a great family, you were skiing a bunch, you, you know, there's a lot of things that look real good about your life, your circumstances. And I think a really important point of your story, and again, for many millions of people out there, is sometimes these struggles, these internal battles, they aren't tied to circumstances, right? Sometimes it is tied to brain chemistry, something that, you know, I say this with certain caveats or air quotes, like, we don't control that. We don't decide that. So you also talked quite a bit about part of the reason in your story that you were reluctant and in fact refused to tell people about some of the struggles you were having was a sense of shame. Because as we just said, you had a pretty good looking life from the outside, you know? Here's, I guess, my question. Isn't it case that, first of all, I think the answer is simply yes on this, but we got to diffuse the like shame part of this as quickly and as broadly as humanly possible, right? And the reason is, as we just got done saying, this is in many cases, it has to do with a brain chemistry that none of us chose, we might choose to get a really bad tattoo or make a really bad decision, you know, some nobody chose this stuff. And so I guess, and I was just actually talking to Cody about this uh, when it came to um, drinking and alcoholism. It's like I was making the case to him and I just want to know if, if other people agree with me on this. Like people now, if I was like, hey, uh, I'm lactose intolerant. I don't think there's like shame attached to that. People, you'd be like, oh, okay, well then maybe I won't offer you this glass of milk. Yeah, like maybe if you live in like Iowa or France, but uh. yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, but there, but even so, I feel like we 
we are at a point where it's like, oh, so you just, your body doesn't respond well to lactose. Okay. Lots of people have that. Other people, they don't respond well to alcohol. And then in what we're talking about is, okay, so some people have a different brain chemistry. And I, I don't think that any of these things, like it seems so obvious to say out loud, and yet it doesn't seem obvious for many people kind of struggling. And there is a reason why people aren't talking openly, asking for help, because they, they don't want to talk about this stuff. But I'm like, well, some people are lactose intolerant. Some people aren't very good with alcohol. And some people have a brain chemistry that they didn't choose. And we need to, we need folks to just say, hey, this seems to be my situation. I, I need some help here. This is what I wanted to ask you about. Say more to this, or or what do we do to quickly diffuse any aspect of shame here? What I know you've been thinking about this and talking about it for a long time. Yeah, the, the short answer is that the solution starts with talking about it. Every single time that we talk about suicide, every single time that we talk about depression, every single time that we talk about mental health, every th- single time that we talk about therapy, it lowers the shame that we personally feel about those subjects. So when we say them out loud, it wipes off another layer. And looking at it, at it as a, on a community and on a societal level, the more that we talk about these things, the more normal they're going to be and the more that we're going to be able to take away the shame that is you know, wired in as an automatic connotation for so many people. Like, for me personally, you know, last night in my talk and in my film, when I talk about shame, the biggest source of that shame is around suicidal thoughts. And I have felt shame about those suicidal thoughts since I was nine years old. And I was silent about it until just a few years ago. Silent to everyone until just a few years ago when I told my therapist on the first appointment because I couldn't hold it anymore. And that shame, you know, I think it's important to understand what shame is when we're talking about it so that we can really unpack this and, you know, get rid of it. Shame and guilt often get confused in society. They have similar connotations, I think. But the difference is that Shame is, I am wrong, and guilt is, I did something wrong. So shame gets wrapped up in who you are. And for me, suicidal thoughts were getting wrapped up as, I am wrong as who I am. I'm wrong for having these. I'm wrong for having a fantastic life. I'm wrong for being a pro skier, but also thinking about killing myself. And the reality is that we can experience so many different things all at once, and they can all be true. My life is amazing. My life has had amazing circumstances throughout. That is true. But I also have had many circumstances in my life. I was born with an inclination to brain chemistry that would lead to depression and to suicidal thoughts. And that is also true. And I don't need to feel shame around that because 
that doesn't define who I am. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me for having those elements be a part of my human experience. So it really is that simple. And I hope that I quote it right. Um, This is from Brene Brown. Shame thrives in the silence. So literally every single time that we give it a voice, it takes away the power that silence holds over us. So yeah, um, you know, if, if you, if you follow me or, or you read my stories or anything, like I often say it, the solution starts with talking about it. And personally, I believe a huge part of that is simply saying the word suicide. This is, I'm, I'm trying to think through this. And, and so again, help me if you like, yep, that's exactly right. Or I may be missing it a bit, but in a way, what I want to do here because I, I, I get it. I, I understand where the quote unquote shame can come from. But I, to me, I'm like, given everything you've said, these are just two different tracks. It's not about, it's like, you're not ungrateful for your life. You're not, you, you understand your circumstances. You have uh, significant athletic abilities. You have a good family. All those things can be true. Then there's this other thing called brain chemistry. Like you didn't pick that in the way that we don't choose what color our eyes are or our hair color or how tall we're going to be. And I, I'm like, we need to maybe just help people understand as bluntly as that, or, or, or even more clearly as that, like there are certain things we do not choose. And if you did not choose that, like shame of your height you didn't choose that shame of your eye color, your skin color. What are we doing here? You know? And so, yes, there are things like acceptance on the one hand for some of those things. You know, I'm I'm not saying that, you know, somebody might wish they were much taller or shorter or, you know, I understand that, but I hope that somebody listening to this, or maybe they've already gotten clear on this, you know, thanks to following you, hearing you speak, watching your film, if we can just get people clear on this, that not to confuse circumstances or lifestyle with certain struggles they might be having, that I hope would just sort of demystify or destigmatize some of this. It helps move it in the right direction for sure. I think that's something that is very important for people to understand and very hard for people to understand is that for people like me who experience really deep dark depression my brain is working on a different level when i'm in that place than it is the rest of my life i'm it's like i remember explaining it you know maybe to my physical therapist or or maybe to my brother or something is that it felt like I was trying to run on a compound femur fracture to be able to help myself and to be able to dig out of this hole when I'm in that dark of a depression because my brain's not working very well. And, you know, for, for the people out there who have had similar life experience to me um, or who have not, um, there are years and years and there are repetitive experiences that build up what at that time my lens or their lens viewed 
as I should feel wrong. I should feel bad about this element of myself. And for me, I mean, you know, I haven't spoken publicly about those suicidal thoughts that I had when I was nine years old um, for good reason, because it's still an open wound. But I can tell you that that experience when I was nine years old cemented in me that suicide was something to hide. Suicidal thoughts were something to not share. And man, when you learn that at nine years old, it's really fucking hard to get out of your head. So like to get rid of this shame for people like me takes a lot of conversations. It takes a lot of normalization and that's that's why you know i say like this is a start because every single conversation chips away at it but it's going to take a long time because it took a long time for me to process my own experience and it's going to take a really long time for community and society to do that on a broad level but on that note i want to say that i am very optimistic that we are headed in the right direction and that our community and our society is capable of doing that hard work and having these conversations to move that forward and to ultimately lessen and you know hopefully in my lifetime for the majority of people erase the shame around mental health around depression around therapy and around suicide yeah and i mean thinking of nine-year-old you yeah, you're a kid. Of course, you're not able to be clear cut on these. I'm trying to do these hard, fast lines about clearly this shouldn't be an issue. Not when you're nine. When we're nine, we're, we're trying to figure out the world. So that makes a lot of sense about when you said, man, when you're experiencing that as a young child, it can stick with you. That that resonates. And like too, for, you know, people who struggle on any level like the majority of the conversations that they have are with themselves in their own mind like for me it was you know the better part of two decades of having that conversation with myself around suicide before i ever had one with somebody else and you know just like every one of these conversations where we can lessen the shame of suicide chips away at it Every single one of those internal conversations cementing the shame around suicide adds up. And so it's like, you know, I needed a big old jackhammer to break down like what was truly cemented in my brain around that shame. And, you know, to, to continue with that metaphor, like we need that on a broad level. We need jackhammers and we need like road construction like there is every spring in a mountain town but all the time on these topics yeah and i guess what i hope and i suspect you will very much agree with this one what you're doing is to try to empower individuals go talk go seek help but also i think what we're doing and what you are doing is helping others, whether that's friends, whether that's parents, whether that's significant others, to be more attuned to like, oh, 
somebody might be wired a bit differently from me. Maybe I can be a bit more sensitive, more attuned, and just be checking in with people. So it need it, right. I mean, that's how we really, I think, accelerate the move toward a world of destigmatization. People getting the help they need is not just the you know some of us being oblivious to what's happening and being like, well, it's your job to go have the maybe um, tough conversation. Hey, I could use some help. This we can all get better in all of our different respective roles. By the way, those are roles that can shift over time, right? And you might be struggling at a certain time and I'm doing okay. And three years from now, we might be in some pretty different spots. And so I think just that sensitivity in our communities is something that certainly we could, we've got room to improve on and just be better at. 100%. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that the awareness among people who don't struggle with their mental health is equally as important because- that's how we make these conversations more normal and it's how you know there's more safe spaces for people to be themselves and for people to ask for help and you know for people to actually get that help they need and and it makes me think about the this destigmatization of the shame okay cool it's one thing for the person struggling and we're like yeah just don't be you know don't be ashamed of that there's that's a category mistake well, you might feel shame if everybody else you know is like, wow, what's wrong with you? So it's like we all need to do our part in this. Note we need to all not be making the category mistakes. We all can you know, be sort of more sensitive to be checking in with the people in our community. That's actually, I'm, I was a little late on that one, but like, oh, right. That's how we actually destigmatize this. Everybody's got to be aware to like not be doing old category mistakes, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that I do want to hit on there is part of this also comes on a broader level of awareness that these are issues we face in our communities. And the majority of the people listening to this are some way connected to the outdoor community and you know i think that it's epitomized most by mountain towns because seven of the 10 rocky mountain states consistently rank in the top 10 highest suicide rates in the country and that is not an anomaly that is not a one-off it's not an outlier it has been that way in the data for my entire lifetime and it continues to progress that way. And that is largely due to suicide clusters in mountain towns, in places like Crested Butte, in places like my hometown of Silverthorne and Summit County. You know, places like my hometown, Summit County, Pitkin County, where Aspen is, San Miguel County, where Telluride is. Those places consistently have suicide rates that are six to 10 times the national average. And those counties consistently rank in the top 10 highest counties for suicide rates. And this isn't because of, you know, a one-off. This is happening year after year after year. And it is skewed because these are small populations. So you'll see a spike one year and then maybe, maybe we get lucky and we only have one suicide in a year. But that's fucked up that that's lucky. And for me, that was immensely helpful to realize that this was going on. I mean, it's awful to feel, you know, it's awful to have to feel that 
connection and that compassion on a level because other people are taking their own lives. But like that was huge for me to understand that that is going on because these things are happening in our communities, especially in the communities that people like you, me and our audience live in. And, you know, for people who aren't struggling, for people who are hearing about this for the first time, like, please just open your mind to that fact that that is going on. And, you know, to to your prior point, I think that every single person who is committed to a path of personal growth, growth will share a similar sentiment or people who have committed to therapy and to unpacking a lot of, you know, what has made them who they are or people who have unpacked traumas that they've experienced whether that's emotional or physical or anywhere along the spectrum is that once you do work on yourself and you're working inside you're able to see the people around you more clearly and you know like now when somebody gets angry or upset I know that they're not angry or upset with me, that it's a projection of something else that's going on in their own life. And it would be great if we could all get to a place where we understand that all of us are going through our own, you know, shit, for lack of a more eloquent way of saying it. And, you know, I think that we always view ourselves as the protagonist of our own story. And we view this world through a first person lens. But just remember that every single person that you pass on the street, every other person in line at the grocery store, or the coffee shop is also going through their life as the main character. And they might be having a hard time. And I think, you know, like I said, that once you're committed to that path of personal growth and once you're committed to, you know, learning about yourself through therapy, you're able to see that around you much easier. And on that note, like therapy isn't just for people like me with diagnosable mental illness. Therapy is simply a structured way to learn how to live your life better. And there's not a human on this planet that would not benefit from that. And I think that, you know, normalizing therapy and people going to therapy, whether, you know, they're at wit's end, like I had to be to first go, um, or, you know, they just could benefit from talking to someone it would be fantastic if more of us were gone and you know that would open up a lot of eyes in our community and in our society i know i said we were going to talk about snowboarding and i really want to but you i need to let you get out of those ski boots it's and, not the ski boots it, Come okay on. i i might have to go do a thing but Clearly what we can say is we're not done with this topic uh, that we've just been talking about and we haven't even started the snowboard conversation. So you and I are going to be talking. Drew got on a board for the first time. This was at the end of last year. Yeah, I tried snowboarding for the first yeah. time in my life. Yeah, and it's I've really hard. <laughs> yeah, and I, I am now what um, uh, Brandon Caps, the founder of New Image Brewery, uh, I, th- I believe he first brought this phrase to me, bored curious. I'm, I'm very, <laughs> very bored curious. I was thinking about getting on a board for the first time at this summit, but having you, just, you kind of ruined this because you told me like, no, no, you are definitely going to fall. A lot. A lot. So I was like, okay, I probably shouldn't get hurt like at the summit. So anyway, 
but I can't wait. I'm definitely going to be picking your brain at the summit about snowboarding, but um, we'll probably bring you back at some point, you know, to document the thoughts of a pro skier new to snowboarding who apparently fell a lot, but loved the experience. This is the, this is the nutshell. <laughs> and my name's not Sean Pettit and, for the record. <laughs> right. Exactly. So um, we'll talk about that. And we definitely have follow-up conversations about some of these other very big topics. And again, I'm just really proud of you and the work that you have done and kind of um, bringing this to the attention of the outdoor community uh, when so many people need to know that it is okay to talk about this stuff. And so many people need to be more sensitive as we've talked about that these things are happening and it just, it's going to make for a better, better communities everywhere. Right. And so um, I really can't overstate how appreciative I am for you to bring this out into the world in ways that were not exactly, you know, the most obvious or uh, like the most um, trending topic, let's say in our outdoor sports world. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it definitely was uncharted waters to make a ski film like I did, but you know, thanks Jonathan. I mean, thanks right back to you for using your platform, using your company to talk about this. And I think the beauty of ending a conversation, you know, when there's so much more to talk about is that this was one conversation of many that chips away at the shame that we're talking about and normalizes mental health. And it takes a lot of these conversations. And even if you didn't have something to get to right now, we wouldn't be able to solve it all in one conversation. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because this is a lifelong process. And this is something, you know, that I'm committed to and that, you know, I'm encouraged to see that our community is starting to commit to having these conversations over the long term. We'll end it there. But. I'm very happy that like, you know, a lot of times people are coming in and out of town, but we've had the last two days to hang out and then we get like the next five or six with the summit and I'm pretty psyched on that. And um, yeah, I, I know you are too. Um, and we've talked a lot about kind of the summit last year and just getting to see people who were there last year again this year and the rest. And I'm there's been a lot of, you know, moving parts to this whole thing, as you well know, with your work and events, but I'm getting really, really excited to just uh, get all, get all the folks here. And go skiing. And go ski, and go ski that chalk. I'm, I'm going to go ski Rambo before it snows so that I <laughs> still get the proper hard pack chopping broccoli That's experience. Right. I, did, I don't want new soft snow no. in there to, you know, fluffy Rambo. It. No. No, that's like the soft, that's the soft Rambo. So I, I, I applaud where you're coming from. Thank you, sir. Yeah, talk to you real soon uh, over these next several days. And we go make some turns together. Heck yeah. All right, man. Thank you. Let's go skiing. Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks to Drew for the conversation. And again, we will include a link to Drew's film Ups and Downs in the show notes of this episode. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And I hope you are having a great week. 
because I promise you we are having a great time here at the Blister Summit, which is in full effect when you all hear this on Monday. So come out here next year, or if you want to win a bonus point, for those of you who are at the summit right now, Come give me a high five and say that you actually also managed to find time to listen to this conversation while you were at the summit. And um, I don't know, that will earn you like blister pantheon status or something like that. Okay, everybody have a great week and we will talk to you real soon.